Exodus chapter 14 as a whole records the events uh, surrounding the Red Sea crossing. And I'm, I'm not sure it's a play on words, but last week we looked at the Passover where the angel passed over the houses of the uh, Israelites. Uh, and and this, after, this morning we look at passing through. So it's, uh, it's part of what is described as one of the remarkable events of redemptive history, wherein the Lord uh, provides, shows that he is their deliverer and their savior. So let's read the whole of chapter 14. It's a bit of a long reading, 31 verses. Uh, and, and actually, as we're going to work our way through uh, the content of the message here, we're going to kind of spill back into chapter 12 and 13 and, uh, and, and pull a few events and a few of the, uh, the details uh, that are recorded there. So chapter 14, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi. Ha-Haroth, between Migdol and the sea opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt. And he pursued the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Haharoth before Belzephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us, uh, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. 
For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. In other words, you shall shut your mouths. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, over his chariots and his horsemen then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of the Lord, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on, on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots, and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and 
his servant Moses. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this morning we continue our study of the Bible's story. And so what the plan is, is to have kind of a, an elevated survey of the prime events that we find in the scriptures. And uh, as we kind of finish the, the ten plagues, the Passover, now the passing through the Red Sea, uh, my intention is not to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but rather to take looks and, and peeks uh, at the history that unfolds for the people of God. And so we, we will certainly uh, pay attention when there are events that are formative uh, of, of God's people in the history of redemption. And, and so we find, uh, you know, for instance here, this deliverance in chapter 14. Uh, it's an event by which God is known. It's the means by which the children of Israel, uh, even some 40 years later, just think about that, uh, the people of Canaan and, and Jericho, uh, their hearts are going to melt because they know that Israel's God uh, is the great God, the Almighty God, who, who does uh, awesome things. And so it is that we will, uh, granted all the scriptures are inspired, so we could go verse by verse through this, and, and I don't doubt there would be edification for us. Uh, but... Um, uh, realistically, that would take a long time, and, and, and I think it would be more profitable to cover a more greater bandwidth uh, of the, the historic narrative uh, as we go through uh, these various books. So what we will see is that after delivering Israel from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, the Lord shows to them that he is their only hope. That he is their singular uh, deliverer. Uh, we will note this by how the divine presence, the presence of God, is with the Israelites. Uh, we will see in the course of chapter 14 the hopeless situation uh, that Israel finds itself in. And that's hopeless in quotation marks, that's humanly speaking. Right? And then our third point will be the remarkable deliverance that God provides them. First of all, the divine presence that's with the, the Israelites. Certainly, certainly you go back to Egypt, right? God, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the offspring of, uh, of, of Israel are, are the people there. And God raises up Moses in the time of their greatest need, right? And yet, that was when he's 40 years old, and he, is, he, he flees for his life. For the next 40 years, he's living in Midian. Uh, Jethro, his father-in-law. Well, so God calls Moses. We looked at this, uh, Exodus chapter 3. God calls Moses through the burning bush and says, I, I have seen the suffering. I've seen what's happening to the children of Israel in Egypt. And, and, and I'm going to send you to lead them forth, to lead them out. And so God does these signs and wonders. They start, they're major, but they grow worse uh, as we 
as we come to plagues 9 and 10 with the, um, uh, the destruction, the, the killing of all the firstborn of Egypt, of man and beast. It says there's not a, not a home, not a house in Egypt that didn't have a funeral. Not just a terrible, terrible tragedy for them. And, and yet the judgment of God, right? The plagues are terrible and severe. Uh, we hear repeatedly that Pharaoh would harden his heart, that Pharaoh would change his mind. In fact, even in the course of uh, these first verses of chapter 14, um, they, they, they were hoping that Israel would go out and then come back again. But it became clear that Israel was not going to come back, but that they were departing. And they had been the chief source of labor for the Egyptians. And so one of the arguments for why we have to go, uh, why do we let them go? Right? Well, and so they, they, they will go to... Um, destroy them primarily, uh, perhaps bring some back to be, continue to be slaves. We're not actually told that. Uh, and, and yet what we see is the blindness of their hearts and, and their minds wherein they're, when will they learn? Right? How, how long will they stand in opposition to the Almighty? I think of Psalm 14, Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Why does he say that? Because that's what he believes. He doesn't truly get it. He doesn't comprehend that if he keeps doing what he's been doing, it's going to have the same consequence and the same effect. And so it is that we, we read about the Lord uh, being with his people. Uh, I think we've pondered before what is the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel at this point. And, and I think it's pretty clear that they are, they were uh, truly babes spiritually. Uh, in terms of what did they comprehend about God, about their place, uh, we're told that they take Joseph's bones with them. <laughs> chapter 13, verse 19. Uh, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And so when Israel left uh, the land of Egypt, it wasn't as a mob. In fact, we're even told they, 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 they marched out as, as, as an organized army, groups of 50 and five wide even, uh, in order. And so it is that they were being taught. They were learning uh, about the Lord, about who he was, about what he would uh, require and, and expect of them. And this uh, multitude that would leave Egypt, which in Sunday school is a mixed multitude. Uh, and, and by a mixed multitude, I believe it was so ethnically, uh, maybe there were some Egyptians with them. We're not fully told, are we? Uh, but certainly they were a mixed multitude spiritually. That is to say, there was the good, the bad, and the ugly as part of this whole conglomeration, probably a couple million people. Uh, 600,000 fighting men uh, aged 20 years and above. Well, you put those numbers together and you can run 
uh, various actuaries, and I'm just trusting somebody else that ran the actuaries because I'm not sure how to do that. Uh, but the numbers probably uh, two to three million people were leaving the land of Egypt. Um, so they knew who they were. And one of the remarkable things is that God would be with them. Uh, look at verse 20. This is kind of the, the last tag of the, the previous chapter. They took their journey from Succoth and camped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or of the pillar of fire by night from before the people. A pretty remarkable token. Uh, you know, part of, part of the promise of Christ is, is Emmanuel, right? God <coughs> with us. Well, guess, guess where God was at this time? He was leading his people in the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire by night. Uh, it seems likely this is the same cloud that uh, when the temple is built, uh, the, the presence of God comes and dwells within the temple, so much so that the priests could not go in and out. Uh, during the wilderness wandering, we have Moses and Joshua in the tabernacle. They move the, the tabernacle outside the camp. And, and God and, and, and Moses and Joshua would have uh, this revelation come from God to them uh, after the exile. In Ezekiel, the cloud departs the temple visibly. Uh, think of Jesus' departure or ascension cloud receives him out of his sight. So it's a, it's a glory cloud, the Shekinah cloud, as it's sometimes called, of God's presence. And, and for now, that cloud was leading them as a pillar of cloud by day, as a pillar of fire by night. So what did that mean? That God was with them. Uh, interestingly, as the, the Pentateuch is going to be written, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, there will be various rules and laws uh, initiated by God by uh, the hand of Moses that the Israelites would keep a clean camp. Uh, they were not to just defecate anywhere because why? Because God was in the camp. And so they would have latrines and they would have uh, a measure of cleanliness that uh, interestingly was picked up on uh, by some of the soldiers in World War II. I, I remember hearing stories that uh, certain sicknesses prevailed uh, on those that didn't. So what we find is Israel leaving uh, Egypt. It mentions a few of the places that we know. Uh, Succoth, Ramses are mentioned. In chapter 14, there's three locations referenced. Pi, Haharath, Migdal, and Baal Safan. Uh, it's not clear where those places are. There's some guesstimates, some estimates, uh, but it's really uncertain. Uh, the, uh, the Migdala is basically a watchtower, maybe on the, the southeast border or whatever direction that would be. Uh, the Baal Safan is Baal of the north place where there had been a city, or at least somewhat of a, like that. 
And then the Pi Haharath uh, literally is uh, salt marshes. And the interesting thing that we're going to read about here is that God is not finished with his judgment of the Egyptians yet. God is leading them. The Lord spoke to Moses, 14 verse 1, Turn and camp at this place. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered in the land. The wilderness have closed them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And so Israel was in this place. Uh, we learned later it was probably not a good place to camp. Uh, whether it be a box canyon or the way it sounds, there's, there's mountainsides on both sides. And then there's the Red Sea. There's the water. And so there's not a, 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 a available direction for escape. And so we're told that, verse 5, uh, the king of Egypt, that the children, the people had fled, not just gone out to worship and come back again, but they're leaving. Uh, the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. Why have we done this? That we let the, the Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot, his, char his 600 chariots, his horsemen, his army, and away he goes. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, the horsemen, and his army, and overtook them by their camp. What's going to happen next? Well, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel probably saw the dust in the distance, or when they rounded the corner, or whatever it is, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and then complained to Moses. They said, were there no graves in Egypt that you've taken us out here to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us out here, out of Egypt? Isn't, isn't this what we told you? Just leave us alone. We'll serve the Egyptians. Later times in the wilderness wanderings. Oh, remember the cucumbers we used to have in, the, in Egypt? The garlic, the onions, the leeks? As, as if life was grand uh, in Egypt. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. What's Moses going to say? Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. So Israel was in a poor location. Humanly speaking, I have the point too, the hopeless situation of the Israelites, and I did say the hopeless was in 
quotation marks. And, and it's interesting, the, the, the facts and the details that, that we've not read this morning. Did you know that you can travel from Egypt to Canaan in about eight days? The, um, maybe it's not, what do I have here? It's about 100 to 150 miles if you follow the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. Maybe two or three weeks. I don't, I'm not seeing it in my notes here, but it, it, it's in there somewhere. They were in a difficult situation. They were without confidence, without hope or help in the world. And yet Moses tells them, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't panic. And you will see the salvation of the Lord your God. Your enemies will be destroyed. So was this a hopeless situation? Humanly speaking, yes. From the perspective of God's grace and power and, and, and what he can do, what appeared to be a hopeless situation was actually an opportunity that God would use to bring judgment upon the Egyptians, upon Pharaoh, uh, for his rebellion. Uh, in fact, Moses is, is kind of shushed. He, he, he said, don't pray. Go do. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Verse 15. Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Interesting. God would grow impatient with Moses' prayer when he was supposed to be going, not standing or waiting, right? Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go, by, go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will follow you. Thus I will gain honor over them. over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. At that time, this dire, terrible situation, the attack is almost upon them, uh, the angel of the Lord. First time it's called that. The, the presence of the Lord himself, pre-incarnate Christ. The one leading them by the cloud and of pillar by day and the fire by night went from being in front of them to be in their rear guard. Uh, on the side that was facing Israel, it was a cloud, a pillar of light. On the side of the Egyptians, it was, it was blackness and darkness. Probably not unlike the ninth plague, where there was a tangible darkness that could not be passed, that could be felt. The Lord's plan all along was deliverance. It's almost uh, altruistic about God. God always has a purpose and a plan. Do we always know what that purpose and plan is? No, that's part of the secret 
revelation that God has. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed, now that's what we are to have. That's what we are to hold. And so it is that Moses says, trust in the Lord. See the salvation of your God. Is there a New Testament equivalent to that? Maybe. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. For with every temptation, think about this, with every temptation, God will provide a way of escape. Not to say that the might the Lord might not call you from this life, but that also would be an escape, right? The Lord is our God as He is their God. Uh, he, he's the God of the past, the present, and the future. And our confidence in God's grace, in God's deliverance, in God's provision ought not to wane. Who is He? He's the living Lord of heaven. What is it that he does? He does all that is his will. Psalm 115, our God dwells in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Well, the thing is, he's revealed to us what he is pleased to do. And what he is pleased to do is to care for, provide for his people, to supply them for, with all of their needs. Think, think of our reading in Sunday school from Romans, Romans chapter 8. There's nothing in all creation, not height, not depth, not troubles or trials of any kind, that's able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. None. Not a one. Is that true just for people in Bible times and not true for us? If that's what you think, then you, you, you've not appropriated the word of God to your heart, as you should. Because God's grace. Because God's mercy does supply all that we need. So this tangible, visible token of God's presence, the pillar of cloud, goes from behind, from before to behind and protects them and keeps them. His rod and his staff, what do they do? They will keep us. They will supply So it is, Moses, 20, verse 21, stretched out his hand over the sea and caused the sea to go back a strong east wind all night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued them after, after them of the sea. All of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. In the morning, the morning watch, last watch of the night, probably 3 to 6 a.m., just my guess, it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians. And listen to what it says. Through the pillar of fire and cloud. <laughs> And troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty 
And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord, Yahweh, fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord says to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the water, over the sea, that its waters might come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the word, the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. But, grand contrast, but the children of Israel walked had walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved, delivered Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus the Lord, thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord, and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And so we have this momentary uh, glow, recognition, realization by the people of Israel that they are God's people and he is their God. And the chapter that follows is this song of celebration, the song of Moses, parts of which will uh, make their way into the Psalter uh, when it's composed in later generations. And all of this is for a lesson. All of this is for examples to us. In fact, in going back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, these things happen to them as examples so that we would not do what they did. Uh, on whom they, they, These things have been recorded for our benefit, on whom the ends of the ages have come, so that we wouldn't do what they did because they were judged and condemned. In fact, we're, the whole subject of the wilderness wandering is introduced that God is not pleased with most of them. How do we know that? Because their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. How many? Well, how many were there? 600,000. I remember, check my math, I've not looked at it for a long time, but if memory serves, you divide 600,000 by 40 years, and it comes down to like 69 funerals a day. <laughs> Sounds like more than it could possibly be, but... Uh, just think of how God uh, delivered his people and provided them with all that they need. And so on our part, as we conclude our study, I mean, there's so much that could be said. We should only think of God as he has revealed himself in his word. The temptation is that we, we like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And and we just let our view of God be defined by a few basic concepts that truly would be agreeable to all men. But who is God? God is this 
this infinite being that has revealed himself uh, as the one who is true, Lord of lords and King of kings. Uh, in fact, even that comparison is weak and sickly because he is the, the true God. He, he is the one who gives life and breath and health to all men. And so on our part, think of God in his fullness and his glory. Uh, in the, the way that he has spoken and acted in history. Because the truth is, if our view of God, our conception of God, is weak, is faulty, then our expectations of this life will be also in error. God is almighty. He does whatever he pleases. True at the Red Sea crossing, and it's been true every day since. He is Almighty God. He does what He pleases. At the Red Sea crossing, Moses says, Sit still, do not be afraid, and see the salvation of the Lord. He will fight for you. And you shall hold your peace. Is that just for them then? I think we do a disservice to think of God in less terms than he is in his greatness and his glory. One of the most amazing features or aspects of all what God has done the amazing signs and wonders is how quickly his people would forget. I mean, think about the Israelites. They're by the Red Sea. What do they say? Oh, why did you even take us out of Egypt? We'd have been better off back there. What did they what have they just seen? In, in what what couldn't have hardly been more than days or weeks or months? The plagues, the signs, the wonders that God had done. Amazing grace. Astounding, fearful, fiery hail that destroyed man and beast. And, and now they're in the wilderness up against the shore of the Red Sea and they're ready to give up on God. Really? Just kill, kill me now. course, the history of Israel, from this point going forward, it stays a pretty sad song. But there are some high points. The close of this chapter is a high point. The people know Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant and would be led by him. But in a few years, that, that's, this is the way life is, right? Maybe our weeks are like that. <laughs> what we heard last Sunday, we hardly remember this Sunday. And yet what we have uh, is the reality that, 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 that God is the great God. God is the great king. And never, never ceases to be. 
And so he is worthy of our perpetual praise. He's worthy of our loyalty. He's worthy of our gratitude. He's worthy of our devotion. And I believe that is exactly why that is what we should be trying. The history of Israel is our history. The events, the signs, the wonders, even the judgments that God would make of his own people. It's all part of the fabric of the God we serve. And part, part of the reason why, if we don't know what God did, we, we don't really worship him with the devotion that we should. In fact, in the, the Catechism's teaching of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Uh, one of the answers to the question is, how do we do that? Help us first rightly to know you. Help us first rightly to know you. Well, how's that going to happen? But by our worshiping week to week, by our reading God's word from day to day, our meditating upon all of these things that we might worship and praise him as we ought. Might we do so? Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you for your wonders, for your greatness, for your glory. Well, Lord, might we always join with the chorus of your people throughout the ages in singing your praise. Might we delight in you. Might we worship and serve you.